Welcome to Pierce Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 175 yeah. of the Total Money Makeover. Not 175 no. yeah. of Total. 175 <laughs> episodes of Total Money yes. Makeover. That but, would be, that. I'm, I'm sure we would have lost people by like episode 12. Yeah, I think so. Maybe at that 12. point, at that point, we would just be we would just be the Dave Ramsey show. That is true. That is true. Which is basically that is the Dave Ramsey show. Yeah. But here's the thing: the reason why the Dave Ramsey show exists still and still has lots of listens and followers and all that goodness is because the method works. Yeah. No, it's true. It does work. And you know, uh, one of the things I like: if you're still listening, if you've already listened to part one and part two of our series, we're finishing up. This is our third and final. Uh, review as it were of total money makeover so if you've listened to part one and part two uh one thing that i know just for myself orlando people that we've talked to who are listeners of our show who followed this process is everybody's at a different place right some people some people have have started the total money makeover years and years ago and they're still working on you know baby step number two or three uh some people are maybe didn't even know about total money makeover, but they could jump right into like baby step three or four, depending on, you know, where they were at financially. And so if you're still listening to this, you may have begun your your journey. You might've already started saving your thousand dollars, starting to debt snowball, or maybe you haven't started your journey yet, but you're kind of thinking, all right, I'm, I, what do I need to do? What is the final, you know, picture? What is the, the end picture of this look like? So I know what I'm working towards. Cause it's, sometimes it's hard to have, and, and we've had this talk a lot about it's, it's hard to have things like discipline and dedication and gazelle like intensity. If you don't have a really focused goal and motivation and the why. So uh, this will kind of today, as we finish up, wrap up this series, uh, we'll kind of look at kind of the end picture. What does it look like once you don't have the debt, once you have things paid off and once you can start building wealth. Okay. Well, what does that look like? What do we do with it? And it's interesting you bring that up because I was I was thinking exactly that. But basically, there's also listeners that are on here that have fallen off <laughs> the total money makeover path, yep. right? You, you you're back in debt, or you even myself. Like I I have my Honda Pilot. I'll be totally transparent. Like I I owe money on that. Like I I bought that now. Could I pay it off immediately? I could. I chose instead to uh, invest when the stock market dipped, and so. I kind of took that road. So I kind of applied a little bit of rich dad, poor dad and totally money makeover and made a hybrid. So, but uh, you know, I'm hoping to get that paid off soon, but that's the only debt I incur. And it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, impede my, is impede the right word? Like stop my yeah. way of life. Like I'm good. Now, what I do find refreshing. So as we get to chapter nine, where we're starting, I like what he says. He says the total money makeover is the same way. Gazelle intensity is required to get the wealth steps but simple maintenance will keep your money muscles maintained, right? So it's it's like, you know, people say like riding a bike. It's like whatever else you learned that you can quickly get back to, which I, I don't know how to ride a bike. So I don't know how that works, but uh, I know confession time. But what I'll say is you may have at one point been completely debt free. You were like on baby step four, like things are great. And now you're back at baby step one, or maybe you're back at baby step. There's no baby steps. <laughs> baby hasn't been born right? And you're trying to figure things out. You can still get back to that, right? It, it, it's going to take hard work and it's going to take intensity, but you know, it's like those, and he talked about this, you know, there's these people and I know people personally like this, which drive me crazy that they're like in crazy shape, you know, like Mike and they, you know, they've had, they had to really work hard at it. Like they work hard at it for years and now it's just a maintenance thing. Right. And sometimes they have to ramp up their maintenance and sometimes they have to go back to the beginnings. But for the most part, 
it's not that difficult for them to get back into that shape because they've done it before and they just have to maintain. It's the same thing with finances. You know, there's there's uh, Dave Ramsey talks about he's been a millionaire twice, which that would have been kind of nice to be a millionaire twice. Like, no, you only want to be a millionaire once. Uh, okay, true. But, One and done. But you have to, there has to be the self-assurance that like by the second time that you may become a millionaire, you're like, things go bad again. I could probably make it again. Do you know what I mean? That's what I mean by that. But it's the same thing here. Like if you're able to be debt free once, if you're able to get your finances in order and things happen, right? You know, whether it be family things that happen, whether it be medical, whether it be, you know, there's always those black swan occurrences that take place. You can still recover from that. So hoping that you find encouragement, whether you haven't done this at all or you're trying to get back to it or if you're still on that path. Yeah, no, that's good. And so uh, just kind of a quick recap. Uh, we talked about in the very first one, some money myths and things that people get wrong about finances and how most people are just um, ignorant. It doesn't mean they're they're stupid or they're not capable of learning, but they just don't know about finances. And then, so there's some, some myths that get fixed there. And then we have our first baby steps, which we talked about uh, last time, uh, which is save that thousand dollars, debt snowball to pay off your debt, uh, and then actually build a, a real um, safety net, as it were, actually have enough money for, you know, three to six months of retire or not retirement, three to six months of your, your daily or your monthly expenditure ready to go in case you were to lose a job. There's a major medical issue, something like that. You're good to go. So starting here, we're moving into the next step. So we've got to assume, and some of this stuff seems hard, right? We talked about getting that three to six months or even more amount of time of savings, that seems impossible if you don't have $1,000 yet or if you don't have the debt snowball done and you still have a lot of payments you're making. So you have to remember, once you get to this step, it's going to be easier because you've already worked your way up to this point. So starting this one is um, actually maximizing retirement investing and being financially healthy for life. And one of the things he says here, which I think is really interesting, is investing for retirement in the context of total money makeover doesn't necessarily mean investing to quit your job. Mm -hmm. If you hate your career path, change it. You should do something with your life that lights your fire and lets you use your gifts. Retirement in America has come to mean save enough money so I can quit the job I hate. This is a bad life plan. Um, and he goes on to say like for Such him, an understatement. yeah. So for him, like retirement means having options, having the ability to, when you turn 65, when you turn 70, when you turn 80 to say, you know what, I, maybe I want to keep working. I really enjoy, you know, working with students like I do, or I really enjoy, you know, working at my church or helping people in my community or whatever your job is. I really love this company that I've started and I love pouring time and energy into it. Uh, but I have the option to take it easy if I wanted to. It's not, I'm going to work at a job I hate for the rest of my life so that I can have a few years of not having to work that for this is, job. That is miserable. No. Like you need to enjoy life now. Right. Find what you enjoy. Now, I like the story that he gives here. He says Harold Fisher was once 100 years old. He worked five days a week at the architectural firm he founded. Mr. Fisher didn't work because he needed money, not by a long shot. He worked because he found joy in what he did. He was a designer of churches. His favorite saying was people who retire early die early. If I retired, that's what I would do. He asked. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's not what he said. It says, if I retired, what would I do? He asked, it's nice how tone changes the whole conversation. Harold Fisher was financially secure and able to do what he wanted. And that defines retirement, the total money makeover way. Right. And I 100% agree with this. Actually, there's 
tons of studies out there that show that people that retire and then doing nothing actually don't live as long as people that continue working and doing what they love. Yeah. And, and your work might change. Like you might leave a job that's like providing you a stable, steady paycheck and maybe your work becomes volunteer work. Right. So it's not so much that you have to work for money. But yeah, I know a lot of people who get to an age where maybe they've worked really hard. They get to 60, 65. They've got enough of a pension plan, 401k. They retire. And after a couple of years and they've pretty much mastered their golf swing, it's like, now what do I do? And they lose meaning and purpose. They don't really have something driving them. And I think as as human beings, we have this desire to have a meaningful life, to do something that's valuable, that's important, to pour our, our energy into something. And that might be spending time with your family and helping raise your grandkids, right? There's a lot of things that that can be. So this doesn't mean like you have to have a nine to five job for the rest of your life, but it means you should probably have something that you're doing and putting your energy into. So when you change your perspective of a retirement from this is just so that I can sit on the beach and, and, and drink martinis or whatever it is you do for the rest of my life, I, I, what I've realized is that gets really old for people. Like you can enjoy that. And I know this for a fact in the sense that uh, summer break every year, right? As a teacher, it's like, oh, yeah. all right, I'm going to spend a bunch of time staying up late and watching TV and doing nothing when it's like, what do you want to do today? I'm just going to sit at home and do nothing. Well, after like the third day of that, you're like, all right, well, that was fun for three days, but I can't keep doing nothing. Right. And so when you change your perspective of what retirement is, it will help you to focus on why you're retiring, have the money. So you have options and freedom. So that if you want to go do fun things, you can, but you're not just doing it to, to leave a job that you hate. Well, and he defines it here. He says in the next paragraph, he says, when I speak of retirement, I think of security. Security means choices. That's why I think retirement means that work is an option, right? And that's ultimately what you want. You want not only the freedom while you're, you know, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whenever it is that you're still working, the freedom to choose to do what you want, right? Because you tell your money where to go. Your money doesn't dictate your life. And then to have that time freedom with your family and not worry about, hey, if I take off some time off of work or even in reselling, right? If I put my store on vacation mode and I decide to just check out that I'm still okay, that I'm still secure financially, right? That That's what we're talking about here is having those choices. So what that means you have those choices in your 30s or that means you have those choices in your 70s and 80s, being financially secure according to the total money makeover way is all about options. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so that leads us into what baby step four specifically is. We have very hard principles all the way up to this point, right? Save the thousand dollars, debt snowball, uh, three to six months of of, of savings. And I would and say, yeah, you're right. Those are non-negotiables. Right? So you get to this point. So then we have step four. Uh, step four is invest 15% of your income in retirement. Uh, and then there's lots of charts in this chapter. Uh, if you haven't read the book or you don't have a physical copy of the book, we highly suggest getting it because uh, there's lots of very practical charts that give you, you know, whether it's paying off your mortgage or retirement, what it looks like, how much, how much time and calculations to use if you're not a math person. It gives you a lot of that stuff. But the, the basic principle is to do 15% of your income in retirement. And what he says when he says that is, when calculating your 15%, don't include company matches in your plan, invest 15% of your gross income. So if your company is matching 4% of what you're putting into your 401k, don't count that. And the other thing he says not to count is social security. Uh, he says, by the same token, do not use your potential social security benefits in your calculations. I don't count on an inept government for my dignity at retirement, and you shouldn't either. A recent survey said that more people under the age of 30 believe in flying saucers than believe they will receive a dime from Social Security. I tend to agree. I'm not uh, taking a political position, but the mathematics of the system spell doom. So here's the way I look at Social Security. 
if you're older and, and maybe you're already able to draw from Social Security or you know whatever the situation is, that's great. You get to you get the benefits of it. But if you're younger, you may or may not have them. And I know there's a lot of people who say like it's not going to exist. I've been basically told that my whole life. Like don't count on Social Security. And the nice thing is, if I plan for retirement, assuming that there's going to be zero Social Security and I'm fine without Social Security, then if there's Social Security, then it's not going to hurt it's me. Any. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I'm good to go. I can I can then pour that into you know maybe my family and helping my son or or whatever it is that I want to do with that money. But I don't have to rely on it. So if it's not there, it's like, wait a minute, I was counting that for retirement. So 15% of your gross income. Now, this could be really hard, but you have to remember, if you get to this point in the, the total money makeover, you don't have any debt except for your, your mortgage. We haven't got to the mortgage one yet, but you don't have any credit card debt. You don't have any student loan debts, any car payments, anything like that. You have six months at least of, of money saved up. You're good. Like putting 15% isn't going to hurt you because imagine you probably have more than 15% of your money going out every single month in debt. Right. So if all of a sudden you have no debt, this becomes much, much easier. You're, you're doing really well. Now, it is interesting. You know, I, I, there are some questions that came up because I will tell you, this is the one where I am weak. Now, a couple of things I want to touch base on. One is it, it is miserable. I, I thought about this years ago, and that's why I got into reselling. Not the main reason, but one of the reasons was, you know, the benchmark to retire is like 65 or 70, right? It's whatever the government dictates, mm. right? And I think that's just a terrible, it's just, it, it was terrible for me. Like I didn't, I didn't want to go like, oh, you know, at 65 going, oh, I can't retire yet. I got to make five more years. And I think about my, my own parents. I remember my mom having this conversation going, you know, Orlando, I want to retire, but it's going to cost me. So I'm going to work until I'm 70. And I'm like, whoa, like. So you're going to put your own health at risk, right? To have a check that isn't guaranteed, right? And it, and it was a big lesson for me that, you know, I want to make sure I am secure by, by 40, like by 45, by 50. So if I wanted to just to walk away, I'm good. Now I'm not, I'm not anywhere near there, right? This is why I still resell all the time. Uh, Cause, and we'll talk about the ultimate step in total money makeover where it's just basically your money's working for you and you're good. Which sounds kind of crazy, but it can happen. I mean, it, it, there's we know people in the media all the time that we see that live like that. Mm. Now, there are two questions that came up also. Because I thought about this, right? He asked a question, you know, the, the, the hypothetical. 15%, like that could mean a lot, right? And it depends. Like the, I've heard from a lot of people and I did it myself. Like some of you give to like your church, right? And your church is, you know, based on, on your beliefs, 10%. Now, that 10% is a lot easier to give if you give it before everything, like some places I know, like the, it, when you sign for your direct deposit and all that, you can automatically say before it even gets to your paycheck, that percentage goes to your church or charity or wherever you want it to go. Right. Or you split. Like for me, I remember I always set it up that way and I set it up that way too. my car payments. Like I never wanted to see that as my money. I think that's one easy solution, right? If with the, with the 15% investment where you can direct that to either go to another bank account or somehow if you can link it to whatever, you know, company to that, you know, allocates those assets for you. That's one way to do it. Now, the other part is if you don't do that and that money's coming in, things get kind of interesting, especially when you're paying, let's say, for your kid's college or let's say you have, you know, a house payment that you're like kind of tired of paying, or maybe you have other things that come up. And I like what he says. He says, 
Whenever people question why not less, some people want to invest less or none so they can get a child through college or pay off the home super fast. I don't recommend that because those kids' college degrees won't feed you at retirement. That's very true. I mean, I think there was a time when that was true. I think there was a time. I don't recommend paying off the house first because I've counseled too many 75-year-olds with a paid-for house and no money. They end up selling the family home or mortgaging it to eat. Like those reverse mortgages, right? Is that what that's talking about? Bad plan. You need some retirement investing at this stage before saving for college and mortgage payoff. Plus, by getting started now, the magic of compound interest will work for you. That last sentence, the magic compound interest. Like I'm still, I still reel at the fact of how many, you know, before you work anywhere, like I know for teachers, we always had that one day where the financial people came, right? And you had that that retirement or the investing guy. And at 23, I'm like... I'm going to meet with you. Then at 33, I was still like, I'm not going to meet with you. And now that I'm 41, I'm like, I wish I met with him at 23. Right. Because there is so much money that you're losing on the table. So much money. I mean, and and Mike talks about this all the time, but even to this day, I've regret. So now for my retirement, I have to pay a whole lot more in to get a whole lot more back. So Anyways, I just wanted to share that. Yeah, compound interest is amazing. And that's one of the reasons he mentions. Um, and again, get the book if you want all the specifics on uh, what types of, of mutual funds he uses and all of those, and what he suggests. Uh, but one of the things he suggests is a Roth IRA, which is great for if you're just a full-time reseller and you don't have a company 401k or a, a potential pension plan, uh, you've got to meet with a tax person, meet with a financial advisor, figure out what you need to do. Uh, but you need to have some kind of um, IRA and then a Roth IRA is a great option because you can do up to $5,000 a year per individual. Um, and then it's interest or it's tax-free money, right? So all the money that you make off of that is going to be tax-free. And then there's other IRAs where uh, you, you don't pay taxes when you put it in, but you pay the taxes when you pull it out. So there's a lot of different options here, but yeah, you've got to you got to think you're paying yourself. So uh, instead of just looking at all the money you make off of reselling or whatever other side hustles you have going on or your full-time job, if you can get that 15%, but remember, this is after everything else, right? So you should be at this point, if you've got a company match, you should be probably, you know, meeting that. He talks about that with the gazelle intensity. Um, if this is, if it's going to take you five years to get out of debt, you should probably be be saving for retirement because of the power of compound interest. If it's going to take you a year to get out of debt, well, maybe you put on the the saving for retirement on hold to get out of debt first, because then you're going to have even more, you know, discretionary money to spend later. So uh, all of that to be said, he says, baby step four is not a get rich quick. Uh, the investing you do systematically and consistently over time will make you wealthy. So that's just the way you got to look at it. Let me just read one example that he gives just because I know we ha- we may have younger listeners or individuals that, you know, haven't thought about this. I'm telling you. financial literacy, we talked about this way back in episode one, like no one's born with financial literacy. So you don't know what you don't know. So don't feel bad and go, Hey, I'm listening to this for the first time. Like I'm such an idiot. Like don't, because especially if, if, you know, I grew up and investing for retirement was never discussed, like never talked about having money. Now was all about that. It was every, everything, you know? So Here's the example he gives. And, and to me, this is the simplest example I, I think he brings out in the book. He has a bunch of charts. And Mike and I talked before the podcast, like, hey, definitely should get the book if you want to take a look at all these issues more in depth. But he says, the Roth IRA will allow you to invest up to $5,000 per year per person. There are some limitations to income and situation, but most people can invest in a Roth IRA. 
The Roth grows tax-free. If you invest $3,000 per year from age 35, no, 35, right? Some of you are listening to this. You're under 30. You're like 30 or you're 25. You may be 18 or maybe younger than that. If you invest $3,000 per year from age 35 to 65, so 30 years, and your mutual funds average 12%, you'll have $873,000 tax-free at age 65. You have invested only $90,000, so 30 years times $3,000. The rest is growth, and you pay no taxes. The Roth IRA is a very important tool in virtually anyone's total money makeover. So think about that, and we'll talk about this later, but $873,000, like, I know it's going to sound crazy saying this, but it doesn't sound like a lot right now. Like, it, it doesn't, right? Because of, you know, once you get older, you recognize how much it costs to have a house and a car and college and all that. But if your cost of living is low, right? If you've been living that, you know, that life of understanding that like you can't take everything with you and sometimes money is better spent with people or to give or to other things like $873,000 is going to go a long way when you're older. And that's only one piece of the puzzle, by the way. That's only one piece of the puzzle. So I wanted to end on that note in that chapter. Just give that example. All right. College funding. Yes. Our next one is number 10. Make sure the kids are fit too. Uh, now, this one is interesting because, um, you know, again, this may or may not be applicable to you. If you've got kids that are, are you know, young and you're thinking about saving up for their college, maybe your kids are out of school, maybe you don't have kids, uh, maybe you're the one stuck with a ton of college debt. So uh, however relevant this is to you, you're going to at least connect to it in one degree or another. Uh, but one of the things he starts off right away is the idea that college degrees do not insure jobs. Uh, one of the problems is, I mean, I remember kind of just being sold this and it, it was true for a, a, a certain time. And there are certain jobs like my job I couldn't have without a college degree. So um, I'm definitely not against going to college. But I think that there was just almost blanketed statement that you need to go to college. If you go to college, you are going to make so much more that taking out student loans isn't going to matter. I remember counselors coming in like 11th grade year, they started coming in and showing all the numbers. If you just graduate high school, the most you'll ever make in a year is 30,000. But if you graduate with a bachelor's degree, you'll make $60,000 a year. And if you graduate with a master's degree, you'll make $100,000 a year. So even if you take out $100,000 in, in student loans, you'll have that paid off in like two years. And like that's kind of how it's sold to you. And so you're like, oh yeah, great. No, I'll get student loans and I'll make a ton of money. And the reality is over time, and I know this to be true because as a, as a teacher, I know that kids are being pushed to go to college. And because so many kids now go to college and it's easier and easier to get into, you know, maybe not state schools, but there's so many private schools that you can go to. Pretty much anybody can go to college. And if you pay the money, a lot of these schools, you're going to pass and get your degree um, that the college degree in some ways has almost become a new, the new high school diploma. It's just like, okay, great. You got a bachelor's degree. And it doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden going to get this job making so much more money. And so you have to anticipate that when you're, if you've got children that you're thinking, I'm going to put them through college. You, and the other false thing, and it goes on the, the perceived value is if I send my kid to the most expensive school in our area or the most expensive school I can, can manage, they're going to be making so much more money. And again, that's not always true. You can go to a community college, you can, and, and he highly recommends going to college with cash or, or, um, you know, no student loans. And in fact, he says student loans are cancer. Once you have them, you can't get rid of them. They're like an unwelcome relative who comes to stay for a few days and is still in the guest room 10 years later. Um, I can attest to that student loans. I mean, I, I needed a degree for my job that I do, but I took out loans. I really didn't know what I was doing. 
Um, I, I could have probably paid for a lot more of my college up front uh, and worked. I mean, I was working, but I was spending my money on other things and thinking, oh, I'll just pay off this once I have a really high paying job. It'll be easy to make the student loan payment. Um, I'm still straddled with so much student loan debt and I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Even with this, the debt snowball, it is, it's, it's really bad. And, and so you've got to think that. And I, I would say if I could go back and do things over again, I would definitely do it where I didn't either one, I didn't have student loans or I would maybe pick a different career path. Not saying college is, is not right for everybody. It's very right for most or many people. Uh, but you've got to really be careful with this because the idea that, Hey, if I take on all this debt, it's going to pay in the long run. Maybe it does, but it's not a guarantee. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey, everyone. Ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting a scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Sellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Sellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code all in caps, Pure Hustle 25. That's the numbers, 2-5. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sawhound.com and subscribe using our promo code, Pure Hustle 25. So Orlando and I are always looking out for tools and programs that can be used in our own reselling to help improve our sales uh, and things that we can share with the community in order to help others. Uh, and we've been lucky enough to partner with two companies here at the same time uh, that we think do just that. So it's kind of interesting because both of these companies are competition. So, uh, you know, but this is a good thing that we're advertising both, I feel, because we are really, really big on letting you make decisions and not saying like, this is the way you should do things because you know, you know, what's best for your model of selling and what you need to be doing. Uh, so we've been able to partner with list perfectly and Vindu. And both of these are programs that can be used to cross list postings on multiple platforms. This is great because we always talk about the importance of being on multiple platforms and not putting all of your eggs into one basket. But one of the barriers to that is the time issue. And the nice thing with List Perfectly and Vindu is it allows you to make one listing that then gets cross-posted to multiple platforms. So you're not having to post things multiple places and spend that time. And in this case, that time saved is money you're making. So both of these companies have a special offer for our listeners if you were to sign up. Um, you need to sign up using the affiliate links that we have in our descriptions or show descriptions in order to get the uh, promotional codes. Uh, so First of all is List Perfectly. They're giving 30% off your first month, which is amazing. And they've got some incredible things that they, they offer. So uh, for instance, your postings go to eBay, they go to Mercari, Depop, Grail, Etsy, Poshmark. There's just so many. You got to check it out. There's almost too many to list here. Um, and so if you sign up, you get 30% off, but you have to use our... our link and then use the code LP30. And then the other one is Vindu. Vindu is very similar. Uh, you're going to get 25% off your first month if you use our affiliate link. You don't have to use a promo code. Just click on the link in the description. Uh, and your, your listings are going to go to eBay. They're going to go to Etsy. They're going to go to Poshmark. They're going to go to Mercari. So this is just a great opportunity for you to save some time, get on multiple platforms, and maybe make some more money. Agreed. Agreed. And he talks about this. I want to share a quick example of how things have shifted. In some areas of study and in very few careers where you graduate from will matter, right? And that's true. I mean, if you're a doctor or whatever, you know, I know like in academia, if I wanted to be a known professor, like if my next step was a PhD, I probably would go to Harvard. I probably would go to Yale. I probably would go to some Ivy League school to get my PhD. 
But that's only so I can speak as a PhD from Harvard, which would get me more speaking opportunities. But if it's something else, it's different. For example, I, I think about this. So the other day I was watching this old Tom Cruise movie called The Firm. Great movie. OG 80s, right? But, you know, Tom Cruise was like top of his class, like because of who he was and where he went to school, like they offered him this job. But then again, he started, he was working for the mob. Like it wasn't like it got him a high, it did get him a high end job, but his, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the college degree. Ultimately, well, it was the college degree that got him the job, but ultimately it didn't serve him that well. Now that's a very drastic example, but I give you another practical example. So, in San Diego, I have some friends that are lawyers and they do very well for themselves, but none of them went to an Ivy League school. None of them went to, you know, the, the schools I had just mentioned. They went to schools that I've never even heard of. Right. And I've, I've even heard them say, like, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is how well I do my job once I have it. Mm -hmm. And and now that I can build up a you know a portfolio of people I've helped and testimonials, like it grows my business. And I'm making just as much as the, as the person that spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to get that job. Now, maybe it took a little bit longer. Maybe the, the entry to get, you know, a high paying job at a firm took, a, you know, a little bit longer. But I think we're in this day and age now where, yeah, degrees, you can get degrees anywhere. Yeah. Well, let's be let's let's make this very practical. OK, you were uh, you were one of the people who hired me. At uh, at the school, my yeah. first school, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you were on the hiring team there. Uh, what school did I go to to get my uh, my bachelor's I, degree? I, I don't even remember. And then I got my master's while I was there, so I got my pay raise. What school did I go to to get my master's? I don't remember exactly. And so, <laughs> unless again, the idea is there may be like if you go to the highest highest end schools, maybe it helps you out. But usually, those people, I mean, I knew a very 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 wealthy family that sent their kids to uh, a high school that cost $40,000 a year for high school. And then their kids were guaranteed to go to an Ivy League school. And people will talk about like, yeah, but they're going to have the connections they need. I promise you that family already has the connections, right? They go to those schools because they have the connections. And th those are, we're talking about like the 1% of the 1% elites and the, the average person going to a college, maybe, I mean, you're going to make connections. My very first, when I was a student teacher, I mean, I went to, I went to a smaller private college, private school. And my very first job student teaching, I met a whole bunch of teachers and it was through those teachers and some connections I had there that led to my first job. And then connections I had at my first job led to my next teaching job. And you build those connections as you go. And so, yeah, the whole idea of like, you're going to get into some secret fraternity that's going to open up like the world to you. Well, I mean, there are. Well, it's just because we're not in it. That's why. No, I mean, but that's that, why we're saying this. Well, and we're saying that because, yeah, there's a very small percentage of the people who are in those elite, elite, elite groups. But usually I, I remember I listened, I listened to this podcast of these very, very smart. They're all have PhDs. They're all college professors. Brilliant men. I listened to them speak and I like half of what they're saying is going over my head. And I remember even they were saying like one of them was saying he married his wife was from a very, very wealthy family, like what we'd consider like blue blood or whatever. Right. And he says going to family dinners with them, being around them. He said it was very, it was right away. They could tell I was an outsider. The way I talked, the things I talked about, huh. the things. And he says, even though I have my PhD, even though I'm a college professor, they and, and a lot of them that I'm talking to, I'm definitely smarter than they are. I'm, I'm more academic than they are. I'm more intellectual than they are. 
but they're a part of a, an elite group that is such a small knit community that that it, they know who the outsiders are. And he's all, I'll never be a part of that group. Like it's just that's just not a part of, of the group. So if you're if you're part of that group, you're not listening to Pierce podcast. I'm pretty sure, right? So um, there there are those, but but we're, I think we're not Illuminati. Yeah. I'm just joking. So but the the thing is, people have this idea that like if I send my kid to a, a really good college or if I go to a really good college, it's going to be me in some extent, and and that's really just not the case. And more and more people are finding that being an electrician, being a plumber, going and getting a trade degree, becoming a videographer, taking some classes on YouTube, going and interning somewhere and and not necessarily taking on hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans, but student loan debt. I mean, between my wife and I, we're at like 100,000 or a little bit more than 100,000. It's brutal. It's brutal. And so, you know, it's if I could go back and do it again, I would definitely do it differently. Now, the other side so that's one side. So the other side is, let's say there is a school, right? I like, I have a school in mind for my son right now that I want him to go to. And I'm not going to share it. You know, don't ask on the comments. Like, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But let's say you have that option, right? You've done all the baby steps. Now you're, this is, are we in baby step five now, right? Uh, I think this is yeah, cause we got, five. Yeah. Okay. Right. Baby step five. Right. Cause one is emergency fund. The, the initial an emergency fund. Two is that snowball. Three is the for reals emergency fund. Yep. Four is planning on investing. And now it's saying for college, right? Baby step five. The the thing is you have the ability to know, right? So you you gotta make those choices. And and like for for example, for me, is I'm not sure where I land on this. I, I kinda I'm I'm, you know, my son doesn't listen to the podcast, so he's not gonna know, but I, I don't I don't ever wanna tell him if I am saving or if I'm not. Cause I don't want him to use it as a crutch. I don't want him to go like, well, it doesn't matter what my grades are. Like, I don't need a scholarship. You know, dad's going to take care of it. Like, I don't ever want that conversation to happen. And I also don't want it that if for a reason I lose all my money, <laughs> I don't want him to go like, oh yeah, dad has all these. Oh wait, you don't dad. And then, you know, it creates resentment. Now there's plenty of ways to save, right? Resellers, you know it, right? Especially if you're, you're doing this as a side hustle, if you want to ramp up that side hustle to save for your kid's college, it's definitely doable, right? If you're a baby step five, you don't even have to ramp up and do a side hustle, right? You already have all your budget in place where part of your budget now includes that college savings, right? So you have that option. That's why it's so important to do these baby steps, how they're outlined. So then you can have these choices. The other thing is, I mean, I love what he says here. And and this is I you know Dave Ramsey he does talk a little bit about resale on eBay I've heard him on his own podcast and his radio show, but he he tells about you know young people take a high rejection high paying summer sales job and those are actually available, but you don't even have to do that anymore. Like I I share this story with with my son all the time. Well, before he was born I shared this on the podcast. I worked at In and Out Burger for I think seven or eight months. It was like my, uh, I want to say it's 2005. So it was about my third or fourth year of teaching. I was actually, I think I was a department chair and you know, whatever I had, I had been for a while and I wanted to make sure I had enough money for when my son was born. Unfortunately, for the reasons not that I didn't know about reselling, I just didn't think about reselling. I took the job at in and out and in and out paid well back then in and out. It was $10 an hour in 2005. So that, that was a, that was a big deal. Like 10 bucks an hour because minimum wage, I think at that time was about eight bucks, maybe it was $7 and something. Can't remember what it was. So I applied for that job and I got the job. 
And I think now, you know, now what, 15 years later, I go, wait, I worked eight hours a day to make $80 an hour. Then you take out the taxes. I probably made what, 60 bucks a day. And I, I did that. I think I was working four days a week, maybe at that point. I remember I go teach, I'd go home, have dinner with the family, and then I go work. And then on Saturdays, I'd work or Sunday. I, I think I was putting in like maybe 20 hours a week. So if you do the math, right, that's only 700. How much is that? Is that? <laughs> it's $1,200. <laughs> that's all. I, I feel so ashamed. So I was working for $1,200 a week, right? So 60 times 20. Okay, just want to make sure we got that right. Man, I got to tell you. So I'm, I'm working to make that money, but in reselling, that doesn't take much, right? Well, it wouldn't be $1,200 a week. If you're only working 20 hours a week, $10 an hour, you're making $200. Yeah, oh, that's right, that's right. Wait, why, why did I have 60 in my mind? Because you were saying you were, you were making $60 a day. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, all right, yeah, that's even less. Yep. Think about yeah, that, yeah, that's yep, even that's, worse. That's so I'm glad I did the poor math <laughs> so then people can see that. All right, so think about that, right? How much is that? So- $60 a day, right? And let's do the 20 hours. So 20 hours times 10, that's 200 bucks a week. That's $800 a month. How many of you that have just started reselling after listening to the podcast in the last three months can easily pull in $800 a month now? Yep. Right? Think about that, right? And why can't that be instilled in, in your own kids or somebody that you know? Maybe you have a family friend, maybe you don't have your own kids, right? And there's somebody that you're able to have a mentor relationship with and they're thinking about college and just say, hey, listen, you can work here and you can make, you know, whatever, $1,000 a month, or you can resell and just go to garage sales on Saturdays, list stuff during the weekdays and ship stuff out and you're going to make way more money. Yeah. And, and especially too, like if you, if you've got a kid and I like that you mentioned that, um, you know, not necessarily telling them, Hey, college might be paid for, but having, teaching them things like working and, and, and Dave Ramsey even talks about this, um, you know, being Dave Ramsey's kid was difficult. Like he made his kids pay for their own cars and all these things. Uh, I just think like for me, when I was in high school, I held signs, right? Which at the time was like $10 an hour. I think I worked my way all the way up to like 14 to $15 an hour. It's just weekends. I worked at Joanne's Fabrics for a while. I had all of these jobs. I was a hustler. I, I put up, I put up, uh, they called them bootleg signs, but they were basically, um, you know, to tell you like where houses were, like those little signs you see on, on like the stakes, like around them. And I got paid 50 cents per sign per week. And I had like, you know, however many that I'd have to put out, you know, and, and it was crazy because I'd put them out Friday night after the government shut down, right? When they weren't patrolling, you know, the city. And I had to have them up Sunday evening because Monday morning, if the city workers drove around, drove around and they saw them, they'd pull them up and I'd lose that money for that sign. Huh. Right. So I had to, I had to every, I had to get out there really, really, really late in the evening to get those signs up and then go get them down before the next, you know, before the weekend was over but I got paid per sign. And I just think like all of that money I made, I started like when I was like in 10th grade and I worked all the way through my senior year of high school doing signs and working at Joann's and all of that. And all of that money, I don't think I can account for any of it other than the fact that I paid uh, insurance on my car. I paid for gas and I had a girlfriend. And so I spent a whole bunch of money going out to eat and buying her gifts and going to movie theaters and all that stuff. And I just think like, if I would have saved that money, I wouldn't be in is I wouldn't have student loan debts right now. If I had just put that money aside, saved it, and then when I went to college, I just used that money, I'd have been good to go. But I didn't have anybody teaching me those things. And so now it's like, I can't do the things I want to do with my wife and son because I have student loan debts. Because when I was in high school, I was spending money like it was crazy. Like, like it was 
free money instead of saving for the college that I was planning on attending. So you can't be too hard on yourself. No, I can't. But, but the thing is like, if you're now I look back and think like, okay, like what would I teach my son? Right. Even if I'm saving up for his college where his college is paid for, if he can save all of that money for himself. And then let's say he, he graduates and is like, I I got accepted into this college. I've got $30,000 saved that I've been saving up and investing. And I'm going to use that for all my college fund. And I say, all right, well, guess what, son? I'm proud of you. You, you, you got the grades you needed to get. You got accepted. You have all this money. Now you use that money for whatever you want. Cause I've got your college paid for. Right. Because then he still learned the lesson, but, but then I don't know. It's no, just, no, I, I it's so much better. I, I get what you're saying. So this applies in multiple ways. I, again, I know a lot of you that are listening, don't have kids going into college. I know some of you don't have kids at all. And I know some of you that are past that phase. So there's various ways to apply what we're we're talking about here right and i'm just going to share a quick one as a as a former school administrator they he mentions the idea of there's somebody that can't you know was able to use software and find scholarships and and pay a ton of uh the college the, they found like thirty thousand dollars in scholarships i'm telling you if you're a parent and you have kids and you do not have a counselor that is able to guide you through this process you can always hire counselors outside like private counselors. I know wealthy people do that all the time, or you can research it yourself, but I'm telling you, do not, do not spend your time only looking at a few scholarships. There's, there's so many random ones. Like they, I can't even tell you, I know kids that have their colleges fully funded and they weren't even a students. They weren't even B students. They had lots of C's on their transcripts. They didn't play all the sports, but somehow they're able to find loopholes in the system where people are willing to give money, just no one applied. So just think about that. All right, that's my two cents. And that's to you too, as a student. If you're a student and you're listening, there yeah. you go. and even Read if you're in college, and write those essays. you can get scholarships as a sophomore in college. You can get scholarships as a junior in college. There are scholarships available for you. So anyways, that's a, our other side hustle. That's a new yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. Anyways, the key thing is always options, right? The freedom to have options. All right. Let's go to the next chapter, though. I think we've belabored the point. Yeah. So our next uh, baby step is uh, to pay off the, the home mortgage, be ultra fit. And really, this one is, is is a relatively simple concept. You've already gotten to this point. You've already gotten done all the steps up to here. Um, and so paying off, basically, you just take the, the debt snowball, gazelle-like intensity. And once you're here, you've got everything, then just for a little bit longer... Take all of the extra excess money you have and just pay off the the, the home mortgage. Now, it, it, that's basically the, as simple as this. The section get is it gets is just take your extra discretionary money, put it on it's your home simple. mortgage, yeah. pay it off as fast as you can. Now, one of the things um, he goes through a couple of myths in here, and it, you know some of the myths. I'm like, did anybody really believe this? But there's one that I know I hear a lot, and so I just wanted to briefly mention it before we move on. Uh, is the idea of it's don't pay off your mortgage because it's a tax deduction, right? The interest you pay, it's tax deduction. It's worth it. And he gives an example. He says, it sounds like people like don't make more money because you have to pay more taxes. Right. So he says this, the situation is one of opportunity to discover if your CPA can add, uh, if you, uh, do. So he basically says that, um, a lot of times if you've got a mortgage and he gives an example, and basically the example is you end up paying $10,000 a year in interest right? And so that 10,000 is tax deductible. So uh, the quote goes like this. If you do not have 10,000 tax deduction, you have a 30% bracket. You will have to pay $3,000 taxes on that $10,000. According to the myth, we should 
send $10,000 in interest to the bank so we don't have to send $3,000 in taxes to the IRS, right? And, and if you just really break it down, it's like, it doesn't make sense. If you can pay off your house and not have not be paying however much in interest every single year, yeah, so you lose the tax deduction, but the tax deduction, it's the same thing with my student loans. Like I get a tax deduction for the interest that I pay on my student loans. I'd much rather not get the $100 in tax deduction that I get and not be spending thousands of dollars every single year in interest. I mean, when I make my student loan payment, it's sickening. I mean, right now, it's nice because the interest is on hold. But when you send $1,000, I mean, there's times it's like, okay, I'm sending $1,000 this month for student loans. And I'm like, all right, well, 100 months, this will be paid off, right? $100,000? Nope, because of that $1,000, it's like 700 of it goes to interest and 300 goes to the principal. You barely see the principal drop. And so anything extra that you start to pour on below the minimum, all of a sudden that principal starts going down. What you pay in interest goes down. So yeah, your tax deduction goes down, but you're not spending as much in interest. So uh, don't let that be a myth that holds you from paying off your mortgage. If you already don't have any debt, you're already saving for your kid's college, you already got six months of savings saved up, you're already putting 15% into your retirement, just spend the rest on your your on your mortgage. And I've, I've seen all the numbers, it's pretty incredible. If you make like one extra payment a year on your house, you can turn a 30-year mortgage into like a 15, it's paid off in like 15 years, right? One extra payment um, really? uh, a year, it ends up reducing it almost in half because all of that money goes straight to principal, huh. which means the following year when you're making payments, less of your payment is going to interest, which means the principal comes down even faster. It's just like compounding interest the other way. And so it, anything extra, once you've done all these things, he says, save it to the end, right? This is like the big one, save, saving off, paying off your mortgage until you've done all these other things. But once you've done these other things, get this done as quickly as possible. Interesting. It, it's, it's funny because I just think of, you know, the other day on TikTok of all places, you know, I, ha I have this one video where, I I had a huge Nike score. Like I, I paid, I think like less than a thousand and I was going to make like $5,000 net profit. And one of the comments was like, man, it's kind of crazy. You're going to have to pay a lot of taxes. I'm like, wait, wait, like, okay. So like, what wh what is, what is the alternative that I don't make that much money? Cause I don't want to pay more taxes. It's, it's kind of like this. I remember, you know, I was really broke back in 2003 I mean, I was right out of college, newly married, had one kid and had no furniture, no car. I shared this on the podcast. And I remember like we would get the discount on the electricity bill. Like I think it was like some program that they had, you get like 30% off. And then I remember like three years in, you know, eventually, you know, went up on the salary scale, did some side hustles here and there, and we no longer qualified. And then we're like, oh man, like we're going to miss out on that. But then it was like, wait, no, what are we stressed about? That just means we're making more money. We're in a better place. So, and it's the same thing. Exactly what you said. Having a house paid off. Think about how incredible that is. To me, that is such a foreign concept. Because growing up, you always thought mortgages is for life. I mean, 30-year mortgages. I mean, I remember hearing 15-year mortgages for the first time from Dave Ramsey. And I thought that was obnoxious. But I know so many people now that have houses paid off. It's It's not like a common thing. But... You know, it depends who you surround yourself with. But I know a lot of people that went through the Financial Peace University and, you know, that was like 10 years ago. And now they're debt free completely. They they own their house and they're done. So so I agree with that. So, yeah, it's a pretty simple principle, but it has such reaching consequences if you can make it happen. So definitely work at that one. I still need to buy a house. So 
Yeah. I'm still questioning whether I want to buy a house, but that's another conversation. We've had that one. Yeah. We're not going to have that this podcast. All right. So uh, that brings us into our next step, which is uh, build wealth like crazy. And he's had this, there's a subtitle to this chapter. It's called Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Universe of Money. And the reason he, these subtitles is if you're following along in the book and you might've noticed we've used a lot of analogies, some of them we've made up, some of them we've directly connected to the story or pulled out quotes of fitness. And I think fitness is a great example because it's, it's so connects that your physical body is a, is a great metaphor for so many other areas in life. And he uses this analogy throughout the whole story of, you know, when you first start this, it's like looking at a mountain that you've got to climb and you're out of shape and you're not fit and you're not able to do it. And the whole idea is by the time you get done with this and you get to these harder steps, you're more shape. You're better off because you didn't go too hard at first trying to do everything, but you focused in on what you could do. You started slow. You had a thousand dollars, which gave you the freedom you needed. You got your diet under control, right? Which is like you're spending and you've got all of these things under control. So now we've moved up to the point where you've got your house paid off. You've got all of these previous baby steps done. Now, what do you do? What does your life look like? Now that you've got this money, you've got retirement taken care of, you've got your mortgage paid off. uh, What do you do? Before we jump into that, though, if you haven't been following us on social media, we are Pierce of Podcasts on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. We are Pierce of Cast on Twitter. And if you're listening to the podcast and you ever want to watch us when we go live or whenever we drop a video, please subscribe to us on YouTube. Hit that bell notification. Bing. And you know what? Hey, I know this isn't the Dave Ramsey show, but if you ever want to share like your your quick story real quick about how you were debt free and how reselling played a part in that always feel free to give us a call we'd love to play that on the air maybe we could have a special episode i don't know we'd love to hear from you 619-738-1170 619-738-1170 you could also email us at purosapodcast at gmail.com purosapodcast.com sorry gmail.com sorry i just had a thought i go how cool if we had like a hustle of the life episode. Yeah. Hustle, hustle of life. Hustle of your life. Hustle of your life where we just have a whole episode and we share stories of people that they did reselling and with reselling, they're able to be debt free. And we have enough stories where we can make an episode and they're exciting stories because, you know, that could be a very monotonous episode too. I don't know. It'd be great. So we'd love for you to call in because we'd love, here's the thing. We love celebrating success. We love celebrating your success, right? We're just documenting what we do, whether we succeed or not. But if we can always document your success, we love doing that. So that's right. And on top of that, hey, thank you so much for the reviews on iTunes. I always am grateful for, and they're just, uh, they're good. They help us in the algorithm. And for the shirt purchases, again, I'm going to mention it again, because every time I mention it, a shirt gets purchased. Really? So, nice. Yeah. So we just, hey, by the way, donations too. So we just got a major one from someone, you know who you are. Uh, I'll probably DM you, but thank you so much really grateful it helps us not only keep the lights on but it helps us be creative and think about you know what more we can do with the podcast once we have you know a little bit of more finances 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 available i love this i was i was i was gonna make fun of how you said that right now but then i remembered that that donation uh was that is true it was to teach me to be nicer to orlando so uh, I think I also said uh, assets incorrectly earlier. That's in the all episode. right. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm being nicer now. Um, so yeah, I mean, if I'm sure that was just oh, that all in good fun. Okay, so all right, so you know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> uh, but um, but but honestly, um, you know, Orlando and I are great friends. So uh, yeah, I, uh, I I pick on him a lot, and uh, he doesn't pick on me as much on camera. When you're older, uh, it doesn't matter. But but, but but he picks on me some. So 
Uh, that's just that's just what friends do sometimes. So we're, we're good, good. We're good. But hey, we're all good. Hey, so, so thank you so much. I guess Mike will be kinder. Yeah, I will. I will be a kinder person, and I'll be even even kinder if if you guys would be so kind to leave us those reviews on iTunes. It means so much to us. We really really appreciate it. Um, I mean, I look at like the numbers of how many people listen to our podcast. Uh, and we have a lot of amazing reviews. I'm always blown away with the reviews we get on iTunes. But if we can just get like a fraction of the people who listen to go leave an iTunes review, even just the stars, um, it would it would it would have such an impact on our podcast, like the 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 amount of growth and the benefit that that would have to us. So if you have a chance and you haven't yet already, please go over and do that. It really means the world to us. Uh, so thank you so much for those of you who've already taken the time to leave a, an iTunes review. Uh, you guys are are amazing. You're what helps keep us going. And uh, if you haven't yet, Consider doing that and uh, it'd be awesome. It would be. Yeah. It really would be. All right, let's wrap let's wrap up the book. But here's the thing. This is this is these kind of dreams that we're gonna talk about should keep you motivated to keep gazelle intensity. Mm. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay, so oh. um so the idea here is you've done all these things, you've built up wealth, and 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 probably at this point you've already built up um, some money, right? Not just retirement, you got your retirement paid for, but you've got a lot of money, you've got your toys, you've got all these things. So, so what does life look like? And, and, um, I like the quote that kind of starts with this section it says, uh, what is the purpose of your having a total money makeover? Why did you do it? Why all the sacrifices and work to be debt, uh, to be in debt and out of control doesn't take nearly as much effort. Why go through all this trouble? Why do you want to have wealth? And one of the things that I like that he says is, you can get to a point where, and he uses 18 million as the example. And I think that's because that's how much he had at one point or, you know, has now or whatever it was, but you can have the $18 million, but what do you do with it? Once you have it, right? You work so hard, you get to this point, you've got all this money and now you've got your $18 million. Well, he gives three things that you should do, right? And the three things are fun, invest and giving, right? And that's kind of the principle of this chapter. Have fun with your money, invest your money, and give your money. And so we're going to break those down just a little bit and talk about what that looks like. Um, so the first one is fun. He says, should anyone wear a $30,000 watch? Should anyone drive a brand new 50,000 car? Uh, should anyone live in a $700,000 home? Absolutely, they should. The problem with people is they buy those things when they can't afford them. Uh, and, and this is kind of, in some ways, I, I don't push back against because I think it's wrong. But when you can't afford something and you, you're trying to be financially wise and you see somebody, it's like, I cannot believe that they they wear that brand or they have that thing and it's just a purse and they they paid they paid 10 times what what I would buy a purse for my wife and it does the same thing but if they can't afford it and a lot of times they can't but if they can't afford it why not right like why not enjoy some of the money you have and he gives an example of a guy who calls in and says should I should I get a Harley right and oh, he's yeah, like that's a crazy story it's a great story so should I get a Harley and and he basically says, like, I already kind of assumed what this guy was like. He said, I imagined he uh, is making $30,000 a year and he's got a wife and kids and he's in debt and he wants a $20,000 Harley. And it's it just that, that most people shouldn't do that. And he starts asking this guy questions and come to find out this guy doesn't have any debt and he's making well over six figures and he's got his retirement under control. Yeah, $3 million. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, Dave Ramsey goes, yeah, buy the Harley, right? Like I wouldn't tell everybody. I would tell 99% of the people who call in and they're they're struggling, don't get the Harley, right? It's not, it's not for you. But if you've got the money, you know, spend some of it. Now, the problem is some people decide to have they think fun is going to be the thing that gives them joy in life. And so they spend all their money chasing joy. And he kind of talks about that a little bit later. Um, but if you've got millions of dollars, a a $1,000 purse isn't a big deal. If you are struggling to make ends meet, 
maybe a $50 purse is too big of a deal, right? So it really just depends on where you're at. And a lot of it comes down to uh, like proportional amounts. So me spending $100 on something might be the equivalent of somebody else spending $10,000 on something because they have that much more money. So their discretionary money is that much more. And so should everybody be forced to buy the lowest stuff? Well, no, nobody really thinks that. And people should be able to, to buy the things that they can afford um, because I don't want to be forced to buy things that, you know, only people in extreme poverty can afford. I, you know, I like the fact that I can buy clothes that fit me a little nicer and they're a little more comfortable, um, but I'm definitely not buying Gucci, right? But who knows? Maybe if I'm a millionaire, I'll still never buy Gucci, but I could do it and it wouldn't hurt me. Well, it's interesting. I think the story of Cristiano Ronaldo, like the top playing soccer star in the world, and he just bought the world's most expensive car. For $9 million, he bought a Bugatti. Uh, I ain't going to try to pronounce it right. <laughs> Cento DHA. I don't know what it is, yeah. but there's only like 10 made. But to him, it's like going to like the corner store, you know, and buying a bag of chips. Like it, it doesn't affect him. And, and if you're in a place where buying those nice things does not affect you, then it's all good. It's all good. Right. And we all have different places that we're at in life. Like for me right now, I, and I'm not... <laughs> To me, I, I don't care for those things because as a reseller, you kind of become callous to a lot of things. Yep. But I will tell you, if I could buy a Ferrari, I would buy a Ferrari. Would you? I would. Mm -hmm. I would. I The reason, because Ferraris is like, it's different than Lamborghinis. Like, you, it's an exclusive club. You want to be a member of the club? I do. Like, you have to be a pre-owner. Like, you can't just, you're, you don't have access to any Ferrari. It's not like you can just go and like, I want that Ferrari. Like, you have to build yourself up and own a few Ferraris before you get a certain Ferrari. So it's... It's it's different, right? So, but what, but what what I'm saying is is that that conversation I don't think it's gonna happen in my lifetime at all. No, nor that even though I want it, let's say I ever got to that place, I know maybe I would. I just would. I just be real. I probably would. But here's the thing: the people I know. So I there's I have only know a handful of people, but the person I know that owns multiple Ferraris and all that good stuff, like to them. It, it's like it's their side hustle like they buy and they flip cars not because they need to they buy and flip cars as one for tax purposes so they have another business and they have deductions and on, on top of that it doesn't it doesn't cost them anything and so they actually made their love of cars they made it an asset instead of a liability right and that's what's key too yeah, no, that's really good. And and we'll move away from the fun part because it, it's one of those things everybody can dream about what they'd spend money on if they had it. Um, There's nothing wrong in dreaming, though. No, for sure. But one, I, I actually saw like, a, it wasn't really a meme, but it was just like a infographic type thing. And it, it said something, it was pretty good. And I don't remember all of them, but it was like, everybody should have five hobbies. And the hobbies were one that makes you money. And I'm like, all right, like I could see that. Like, like maybe reselling is a hobby or maybe you're into fitness and so you're coaching other people. And then one of the hobbies was a hobby to, to, to help your health. It's right? actually good advice. Yeah. Have a hobby that helps your brain, right? Something that grows your brain. And so there's like five hobbies that you should have and all of them are beneficial. And so, yeah, if you're really into something like if you really, really love cars or you really, really love a sport or whatever it is, make your hobby one that you can do that thing, but it also either makes you money or is your fitness or is something and don't just spend money on something that you can't afford. Agreed. Um, so cool. So the next one is investing. Um, and it, he subtitles that section as uh, investing is how we keep on winning. Um, and what I like about this is kind of the key takeaway here 
is especially when it comes to retirement, a lot of people he recommends earlier when, with the retirement, looking at like a five, 10, 15 years if possible, how well mutual funds are doing. Um, and don't be in things for the short haul. He doesn't ever look at the one year growth, the five, the, the you know, three year growth. It's a, at least the five year growth. It or like this, right now with Robinhood, the yeah, one month. Yeah. Yeah. Don't look at one week or one day and say like, okay, like there's, but over the course of time. And so he says, if you're in retirement phase, Keep investing. Investing is how you make money. And if you think like, oh my goodness, I'm I've, I've I've retired. I retired a month ago, and the stock market is starting to dip. Should I sell everything? And I love the point that he makes here. Is let's say you've saved up that eight hundred thousand dollars, right? You don't need all of that money at once to live. You're drawing on that slowly over time. Maybe you need $40,000 a year. You don't have any other payments. You don't have a house payment. You don't have any. So you have that money for travel, for spending time with family, for buying gifts for your family, for buying clothes for you, food, all of that stuff. So maybe you only need $30,000, dollars $50,000. So even if the stock market's down right now, over the long run, these investments over the five, 10 years, it, it's going to go back up. And so you got to keep investing and going back. I think our best book that we did that covered this was Richest Man in Babylon. Um, also, Rich Dad, Poor Dad are great examples of how making your money work for you and putting that money. So once you have that wealth and you get there, don't stop investing. He says one of the problems people have is they often get to the good enough phase, right? Like I've made it. I'm good enough. Well, if you keep investing your money, you live another 10 years, that money is now things that you can have more fun with. And when we get to the next step, giving, you have even more you can give. So don't stop. Don't ever get satisfied and say like, eh, I've got my house paid off. I don't have to invest anymore. If you can keep on investing because that's going to be future fun, future giving that you have the ability to do. Well, this was the part that was most powerful to me in the sense that, you know, we talked about this. This is where I think Robert Kiyosaki and Dave Ramsey would agree 100% with each other. So he says, Dave Ramsey says, if you're beginning to think I'm being a little overdramatic, so be it. It's hard to describe reaching the pinnacle point without some emotion. This baby step, the one we're at now, takes us to the point at which your money works harder than you do. The pinnacle point. It is the instant in time where focus gazelle intensity has reached critical mass and your money makes and takes on a life of its own. When your money makes more than you do, you are officially wealthy. Right. And that, that is that, that's pretty powerful. Right. So what that means is you're not doing anything like money is on its own. It's close. And, and Robert Kiyosaki talks about that in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, about whether that be in different. I mean, there's it's kind of like passive income. I mean, there's it's very rare to, for there to be completely passive income. But, you know, whether it be in real estate, whether it be in stocks, whether it be whatever it is, that money is continually making money and you're only having to do a little bit of maintenance. And then he says. When your money makes more than you do, you're officially wealthy. And he says, you have reached the pinnacle point when you can live off 8% of your nest egg. Like that is 8%. Like think about it. Like when, you know, there was a point in time when I couldn't even live on a hundred percent of what I made. Mm. Right. This is talking about nest egg. This isn't talking about the money you make working. This is talking about money that you've already invested and you saved. Yeah. And where he gets that number that 8% from is he gives the example that 12% is the average that mutual funds grow and he breaks it down into four different types. Like you shouldn't just mm -hmm. be in one type, uh, but overall, and, and it's true. You're going to have years where it's 3%. You're going to have years where it's 15, 20% a year, right? So the average over 10 years, 12%, it's a good number. Sometimes seven, sometimes it's 10, but you might average around 12 and he gives 4% for inflation, right? Like the value of money goes down about three to 4% every year. So if you're having 12% growth off of your nest egg and 4% of that is money, you're kind of losing because of, of, 
the uh, of inflation and 8%, what that means is you can literally pull a check. You can live off of 8%. That means your nest egg, your, your retirement, you can pull a check from that and the actual principle of your investment never goes down. So, so if you've got, wild. let's just, I'll just use a million as an example. You got a million dollars, you're making 12%, right? And, and you figure four of that for inflation. So 8% of that money, $80,000 that you have coming in every single month and your million dollars never goes down. It's not like you went from a million dollars and then you lose 80,000 of it and then another 80,000 every year, but that million dollars stays a million dollars for the next 20 years. And you're just living off the interest. That's incredible. <laughs> We should just end the podcast here. Yeah, get there. If you're not that's there it. yet, what's that's wrong where with you? you? Need to be. That's where you need to be. So now I do like how he, he ends this chapter when he talks about giving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Giving is the biggest reward of the entire workout. Giving is possibly the most fun you will ever have with money. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those things where when you can give and it, and it, it's still good when it costs you. Like giving when it costs you is, is still enjoyable. But when it doesn't cost you and you can just freely give. It's such a freeing experience. And you don't have to wait till you get to the pinnacle point to be there. Like you can give while you're in baby step one, baby step two, baby step three. It's not super advisable, especially when you're trying to get through two and three. But once you get a four, I think there's there's a place to give more. But that's just my own two cents. But it's a lot, you know, we can get into the, all, all the old adages and saying about giving. But when you're able to give, Given a way that you enjoy, given a way where you don't regret it, given a way where the person doesn't expect it, it is so much more fulfilling. I, I for me, it is than when I'm like, oh, I made this, you know, I had a great week of sales, or I, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a lot better. And so he talks about different ways, but to me, it, you know, you look at all these very wealthy people, right, and you go, man, why are they giving away all their money? Right. <laughs> like, and, and sometimes we think maliciously, like I do, I go, man, they're saying they're not going to give their kids anything. Like that's terrible. But at the same time, maybe they didn't find any fulfillment, all the money they made. And now they're going, you know, what? I wish I was given a long time ago and I don't want my kids go to go through that. Now, again, when you're not in that scenario, it's hard to think that way, right? You go, I'd rather have millions and billions of leftover for my kids, but at the same time, well, and giving doesn't mean you can't give to your kids too, but, um, True. um, but there are some that won't even leave money for their kids. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't <laughs> think that's good. Um, but when it comes to, to giving to, so maybe you're in baby step one or two and you can't afford anything, right? You can't afford anything extra. You're just trying to pay off your debt. Maybe you give of time, right? So you, you, you volunteer, you volunteer coach for a team or you, you give piano lessons or you, you volunteer to food shelter, whatever it is. Anybody who does those things, you get a, a fulfillment in life and enjoyment that you get. And and so maybe when you're at a place where it's money that you can just give freely, uh, and, and it is true. And a lot of times, again, you got to remember, he he also mentions fun and investing. And there's going to be some people who are going to gravitate more towards one or the other. They're going to think, I just want to have nothing but fun with my money. You'll find out how fat, how quickly that becomes boring, right? You're not going to find enjoyment and satisfaction from that. Some people are just going to invest all their money. And it's like, well, you're not having any fun, right? Like if all you're doing is investing everything and some people are going to want to give everything away and not have any fun either. And so you want to have a balance here. But I think for me, at least personally, I, I know that giving is is probably where I'd, I'd land on is like, this is going to be where you're going to get the most fulfillment and enjoyment out of. Uh, giving away money, giving away time and energy. And again, that idea of retirement, right? It's options. Maybe you get to a point 
I remember uh, one of the band teachers at the school that um, I'm at, he uh, left for another job. But one of the things he was like, if I could, you know, if I had a bunch of money, I would, I would just teach lessons to kids. Cause I had a person for me who taught me everything I know about music. And he was a, a very expensive instructor and he just kind of took manners wing and he didn't charge anything. And he taught me. And I think like, yeah, like how great would that be to be able to not worry about money? You've got your retirement taken care of. So the thing you love to do for a job, you could just do it and you do it because you want to help people. And there's a, a feeling of enjoyment that you get from that and satisfaction that you may or may not get, probably won't get, um, you know, buying a new toy. So um, you might be at a place where you're like, I can't even imagine giving. I just want to enjoy things now. Well, once you get to this baby step and you have everything else paid for and you've got all the toys you can imagine, you're like, you know, what? I don't need another, you know, sand rail or ATV or another boat. Like, I'm, you know, I want to, I want to help this family down the street who just had a kid and their kids in the hospital and I want to help them. And so when you have the money, it gives you the option, just like retirement. Uh, so don't be afraid to give and look forward to it. I love how he ends a book with his last chapter of live like no one else. A few couple of takeaways. We probably have the same things written in Mike. <laughs> it's funny it, when Mike talks, I am like, Oh, I just highlighted yep. it. All right. So here's a few catches. Like the, the, the thought of having security with money seems really comforting and it is it really is, but it doesn't stop life from happening. Right. It doesn't stop from, I mean, 2020, if there's ever a year that you should put in your memory bank of an example of like things can happen that you never see coming. It's 2020, right? We're living in that reality right now. And so there is, he talks about, there's this fault and he says, sense C E N T S of security with money. And he talks about like, even though you may have that sense of security, you can also be miserable. But I, and I like the sentence that he puts, he says, the wealthy person who is ruled by his stuff is no more free than the debt-ridden consumer we have picked on throughout the book. He, he mentioned the quote by Antoni Riverali. He says, there are men who gain from their wealth only the fear of losing it. Mm, yeah. That is a powerful quote. Let me repeat that. There are men who, there are men, I love it. I'm, let me repeat that, but let me fumble it. Glad I'm not running for anything. There are men who gain from their wealth only the fear of losing it. Yep. That is so powerful. Like I would hate to be in a place where I worked so hard, right? Let's say PRS a podcast, we're on for another 10 years. I hope maybe 10 years. We'll, we'll see what That'd happens. That'd be great. That'd be great. Right? We're at a whole new place. We have an office building. We're a network. I mean, all this stuff, right? Who knows, <laughs> right? Okay, we're doing really well. And then I have no enjoyment because all I do is worry about losing Pure Russell podcast and everything we worked for. Like that would be a pretty miserable spot. Yep. Right. And it's the same thing with, with money. Like your sense of security shouldn't be in money, right? It, it should be there as a tool, as an avenue to secure that place of safety, but it can't be the only thing. Right. And so, so be aware of that. And the other thing, and I'll be quiet after this, and I, there's so much in here. The other part is, if you are a jerk and you become wealthy, you will be the king of the jerks. And I'm like, that is so true. Yeah. Before that, he says, another oh. paradox is wealth will make you more of what you are, right? So the jerk is one example, but yeah. if it's fear, if it's whatever it is that you are before, being wealthy isn't going to solve your problems. It's just going to bring out more of who you already are. So yeah. So money is great. Right. But money, it's kind of like social media, like social media exposes people. Right. How many 
How many things have we learned about people that we never care to learn about these last 10 years in social media, right? How many, I mean, hopefully on Pierce's podcast, we haven't shared too much. But anyways, the idea is that social media, right? The more you're on it, the more it exposes who you are. And it's the same thing with money. The more money you have, the more you're not going to care about what people think, the more you're going to think you're all good and everything's fine. And depending on the person you are, it's going to come through. If you're a person who's been mean and you were just, you know, a fake to people, and once you have the money, you're going to feel like I don't have to be that fake anymore. And then it's going to come through. Right. So I, I think what Dave Ramsey is getting at is that, is that money isn't everything. Money is a great thing. Money can bring, I, I, I think it can bring temporary happiness. I don't think it can bring ultimate happiness. It doesn't bring joy. Joy is something that continues on regardless of circumstance. But money is something that definitely can be handled and can be controlled and definitely can give you a better life. Or it can control you. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's double-edged. Yep, double-edged for sure. Yeah. He says, uh, wealth is not the answer to life's questions. Uh, and he gives another quote where he says, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. Stuff is wonderful. Jeez. Get some stuff, but don't let the pursuit of wealth become your God. And I remember, um, hearing a quote one time and it just really stuck out to me. And I've, I've now I can't drive by a cemetery or like a monument without thinking about it. And the idea was when you drive by a cemetery and you see all those headstones, what you're really looking at is all of these people, their dreams, their accomplishments, a lot of those accomplishments forgotten, but those are somebody that uh, many of those are going to be people who've accomplished incredible things. They gained wealth, they gained power, they achieved their goals, but they end up in the same place. And so what you leave behind isn't going to be those accomplishments and those, the money that you gather it's going to be the things you do with it if you leave anything behind, right? It's the connections you make, the relationships you build, what you do for your community, what you do for your family, what you do for your your church, whatever it is, those things are going to get left behind. And, and money can be a tool that you use for that, but you can gather all of that money. You can gather all of that power, all of those accomplishments, get the job, get the, the job at the, the top floor with the big window looking out, and then you die. In 100 years, nobody remembers who you are. So you want to leave something that matters, and money can be a tool that you can use to get there and let you enjoy your life along the way. Uh, but don't let it become your God. Don't let it consume you, uh, but use it to do the things that that really fuel your, your convictions and the things that you want to accomplish in life. 100%. 100%. Now, yeah. I do want to end on an encouraging note. That's encouraging too. But I love how Dave Ramsey ends his book. Because here's the thing. You, and we shared this, you may be in a place where like, what? A thousand dollars? That's insane. Like, I don't even know how to do it. Like reselling. I'm just trying. I just started listening to you guys because I'm trying to pay the bills. I can't even do that. Right? But here's the thing. This has been done. He says tens of thousands. I think... This may have been done millions of times, right? Maybe not the exact same formula, but it's been done. And he says, these are age old principles and they work. Tens of thousands of ordinary people just like you and me have become debt free and even wealthy using this plan. It isn't magic. It is common sense. The exciting thing is anyone can do this. Anyone. Are you next? I hope so. And with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Peace. Peace.